you're scrolling for October 10th, 2023. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm fall autumn loving Chip Essenplum. And we're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. You might notice uh, it sounds a little different today, Chip. It does sound different, Steve. You know, we are sitting out here looking over the estate of the <laughs> Biltmore, enjoying the, 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 the fine, fine foliage that fall. <laughs> And uh, comparing our homes to a home that's right around the corner from us. My home is just like the Biltmore in Asheville, North Carolina, Chip. If it had, what, 35 bedrooms, Steve? If it had 35 bedrooms. I haven't counted them recently, uh, and I'm not good at math, but I think 34, eh, maybe 35 is is how many I have. Excellent, excellent choice. It's a beautiful (laughs) day out here. We're here. We are outside, outdoors, Asheville, North Carolina. I had a four-day weekend. Uh, Spoilers, everybody. Today is Saturday. It's a four-day weekend, and here I am in North Carolina. Chip came up from his side of North Carolina, and we're here live in, uh, in the lovely, gosh, it's lovely. Well, you know, it's probably a good time to grab a beer, Steve. <laughs> uh, spoilers, if you've been watching my social media, I've had one. <laughs> Film at 11. Brings us to our Film at 11, our movie of the week, I finally got a chance to see a movie that I've been waiting for for a few months now. I was waiting for October for a chance to watch The Haunted Mansion. This is the new version of the Disney theme park ride turned movie. Version number three in historical terms? Three. Three? This was released to the theaters earlier this summer. Yeah. And um, yeah, I I passed on it continuously. (laughs) I, I didn't I passed on it in the theater for sure. I thought for sure this was gonna be a movie that I wanted to watch, that I wanted to see in October. So when the October weather kicked in, I finally got a chance to see this. It hit Disney Plus this week. It's a spooky, spooky story, Steve. Yeah it is a spooky, spooky setting, Chip. It is a <laughs> spooky, spooky building, Chip. It is a spooky, spooky Oh, there's ghosts and they do things that you might recognize from a uh, trip that you took to uh, a scary town called Orlando. 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 Wrong show. Exactly. All right, so (laughs) is this about, um, does it even, does it have a story about the ride? No, there is a story about a family who is moving into this spooky, creepy house. And they are spooked and creeped out immediately as they enter the house. And they immediately turn tail and leave the house. I, I think immediately of the Eddie Murphy comedy sketch. Do you remember the Eddie Murphy yes. comedy sketch? Where he says that white people go into a spooky, creepy house and they bring more white people. In this case, black people turn up in in this haunted house and they immediately drive away from the haunted house then the rest of the story happens where the ghosts follow them away from the house and this family immediately turns back and goes back into the haunted mansion which of course reminds me of the simpsons episode <laughs> where the house chooses just to kill itself <laughs> rather than live with the Simpsons. <laughs> yes. 
this movie is is so short on plot. It is so short on character development. It is an all-star cast. Everybody in this movie is a star. Disney spared no expense to get these famous people into the Haunted Mansion and then gave them so little to do. The, the story is all about the special effects. The story is all about the creepy ghosts. It is so much just a movie for the people that love the scare of the ride. So one of the criticisms I've had recently about Disney product and a lot of the streaming service products is it's just product. Mm. There's They may take something that could be three uh, episodes and they stretch it out to eight. Or there's uh, there's no real story there. They just bought the intellectual property to something. So the intellectual property is the Haunted Mansion, mm-hmm. Disney needed product, and every generation needs their version of the Haunted Mansion. It's That's how I t- chose not to watch this initially. And you're giving me a very similar type of vibe I'm, on this. I'm, I'm seeing this as even less than that. I'm seeing this as a commercial for the ride at Disney World. So come to Disney, go to the ride. You'll hey, see you, some stuff that you've seen before. Now, on the other hand, you know, Disney also has the not-so-scary um, you know, the, the theme park. They want the theme park to be... Like, come see something spooky, spooky. But, it's, but it's not a haunted house in the sense of, like, the one the JCs put on around the corner. Right. Um, so this has that vibe for sure. And so it's meant for all ages. Yes. And the, there's, there's nothing too intense. Correct. The nine-year-old who is the protagonist of this story is adorable, and his activity seeing these ghosts and being spooked out by this is much different than, than a gore disgusting, terrifying sort of story. They, they would, probably would have been better off just doing a remake of Halloween Town. You know, there was just enough okay. of a little story there. I think they were better off just leaving this as it was with the Muppets. I think the Muppet Haunted Mansion was a great movie. I will watch that movie more times than I will watch this movie for sure. And the Eddie Murphy version that came out ten years ago or so was forgettable too. Totally forgettable. So what they need is Thurl Ravenscroft uh, Tony the Tiger to show up. They need to put the Muppets in every Disney property. Every Disney property. Uh, Star Wars Muppets. I, uh, Marvel Muppets. Uh, all Muppets all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you have been watching... Uh, you've been going in, back into the archives and you watched Unsolved Mysteries Behind the Legacy. Tell us about this one. So this was just released um, this week. Uh, Alma Draft House was one of the locations where they chose... To, to preview this movie. And they had probably three or four a day that you could choose from. So Film Rise is a streaming service. My feeling was, or feeling is, that Film Rise, you could download the app on your whatever streaming device you have. It's got Unsolved Mysteries showing all the time. This is a movie that celebrates the 35th anniversary of this show. Did you did you watch Unsolved Mysteries as a kid? So I... I know about Unsolved Mysteries. I know about Robert Stack and his 
stoic way of telling a narrative is very similar to the Twilight Zone. Having that narrator that gave you this story. Uh, my Here's my unsolved mystery story. When my wife was sitting around and, and looking for something to watch and, and fell upon unsolved mysteries in the last five years, the young lady that lived in her house, she was watching it with my wife. And at the end of the story, she turned to my wife and said, but, but, but did he do it? I need to know. And my wife goes, honey, it's an unsolved mystery. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> so Unsolved Mysteries, the, the television program, started as a, a few specials on NBC. Um, I think they were testing it out. In fact, the uh, producers of it said they didn't feel they really got any uh, promotion at all for it. People fell into it. They were flipping channels at the time, mm -hmm. and they were getting ratings. And so it became a series. And I don't think they could have picked a better um, host than Robert Stack. Yeah. He's got this, you know, serious, grovelly voice. And uh, initially you would send in a postcard if you had an idea of who did this mystery, uh, a murder, uh, some kind of uh, unexplained phenomenon or something of that nature. Uh, but eventually it turned into a call center. And they had, like, real employees. Hmm. And that they got enough phone calls um, that it was really it, it, it made leads and the, their favorite part of the show was they would come up with some mystery this unsolved murder or whatever it was they get a phone call and it's solved and so they would break into it Robert Stack would have to come in and do and they have to change around the show so they've got they have an update the updates when they solved it so it could be anything from a murder, it could be a Bigfoot, it could be an alien type of thing, but they covered it all. Anything that would be unsolved. The television uh, program went for many, many, many years. I see the appeal of it. The, the appeal is um, there wasn't a lot of choice on television. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a mystery. They had recreations. Um, they brought in local actors or the people it happened to, mm -hmm. to recreate the scenes. So acting was always interesting. <laughs> interesting. Uh, in addition, you know, they, they sent out, um, where the producers originally went out to, to the, the sites, they would go on site. Eventually, they just had the, 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 the um, uh, film crew go out and do it. Anyway, they have to recreate it, and the local police would get involved. Televisions, uh, news would, would catch that they're in town, and anyway, it was a big deal. If you had an unsolved mystery in your area, you would send it in to them, and they go, "Yeah, that one looks pretty good." And they're off to Portland, Maine, or they're off to Portland, Oregon, or they're off to wherever this thing so is. Portland, somewhere else. Yeah, that's all you had in your head was Portland. I just picked the Portlands <laughs> out. So, um, at the end of the movie. They gave three or four stories that were some of their best. So we got to see, as they were originally aired, we got to see some examples of some of the better ones. And ultimately, at the end of it, what you recognize that if you download the app FilmRise mm -hmm. to your streaming device, if you're Roku or Apple TV or Fire Stick or something like that, um, that you can watch this, you can watch all the uh, shows. So I don't think this is anything special. I say 50 out of 100. That's just being kind because it's a television program. But there's a movie 
that's kind of wrapped around okay. to give a promotion of the show and a celebration of it and uh, to tell us about this streaming service. Interesting. I, I find that intriguing. I've been doing a lot of behind-the-scenes kind of research lately. So, Unsolved Mysteries Behind the Legacy. Book it. 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 Brings us to our book it, our book of the week. Here we are in the stoic, beautiful, the Biltmore Mansion, and just seeing so many people in so many rooms and so. How many swimming pools are there, Chip? Are there's, there? there's a big one, Steve. There's a one. really, really big one. <laughs> a Vanderbilt-style swimming pool, Steve. So, in preparation for our trip to Asheville, North Carolina, you read The Last Castle, the epic story of love, loss, and American royalty in the nation's largest home. This was published in 2018 by Denise Kieran. It is. This is about the largest home built in the United States. And that is, and it truly is, a castle. Uh, and the European uh, idea of castles. Um, and it is about the Biltmore, the building of the Biltmore, the running of the Biltmore, and a little bit about how I mean, it became what it is today. Today it's a tourist destination. If you are a person who is in a driving distance to this place, you will go during the holidays, they do it up for the holidays. Okay. Um, during the spring when everything blooms, you want to be here. In the fall, like we are, you come for the foliage. Um, it is a very interesting story. The Vanderbilt, um, George Vanderbilt, the person who commissioned the building of this, is the son of Commodore Vanderbilt. And Commodore Vanderbilt initially got his money off of shipping, and uh, sold out of shipping, got involved in trains, and became an incredibly wealthy person. Um, his equals are J.P. Morgan and uh, Rockefeller and uh, Carnegie. Um, and what we have right here is his son, who inherited a lot of money, <laughs> and somehow decided that since the Vanderbilts all lived in New York City, it was time to build a home and he came out to Asheville, North Carolina. Hmm. This is the late 1800s. The, the, what's most important about it is we have studied this time. When we read all those stories with Sherlock Holmes, and we explored that era with um, you know, Jack the Ripper and um, the uh, White Devil, uh, all those books that we read with Pam Bedore, uh, Professor Bedore, um, that knowledge really comes into play here. Hmm. Because, um, yeah, this was not much. This was a rural community in the mountains. And while it had beauty in the sense of mountains around it, it had, they had already come in and they were logging. They took all the trees away. Hmm. And so it was an ugly forest. And he said, I'm going to build a masterpiece here. Huh. And that's exactly what he did. He built, you know, like I said, what is the largest um, United States home. Um, and uh, I don't think it, there, there, this is a folly in so many ways because um, when I'm up in Indianapolis and I'm at Laurel Hall, which was this massive home that was built by a banker who basically bankrupt himself. <laughs> well, 
Not while building the home. The bank went bankrupt. But anyway, it means the home had to be sold off. This didn't bankrupt of Vanderbilt, but it seriously dented his wealth. Okay. Um, and so he, uh, his father passed away, Commodore did. And so what we ended up happening was um, uh, his son George came out here. He bought the land, and he goes... Just like Jurassic Park, only the best, Steve. <laughs> only the best. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? <laughs> he brought in all those people that we knew that were working on the um, Columbian Expedition up in Chicago. Really? Yeah. So Olmstead was in charge of building the forest. Really? Yeah. So you know, Olmstead was in charge of Central Park and and uh, D.C. and Boston and all these other areas. And then, you know, the Chicago World's Fair. Mm-hmm. But he also was picking out the trees to build a forest. Very similarly to what Thomas Jefferson did up at Monticello. Hmm. Who also planted a forest around Monticello on a mountain. So they had to, I don't know, work on the land, repair the land. And then they brought in a guy named Hunt to help design and build this this home. No expenses were spared. Hmm. And we're in we're in the mountains of North Carolina. There's nothing really in Asheville. So along with the development of this home, he pretty much um, by default was developing the community that would become Asheville as we know it now. So all those artisans came in to build. Steve, we are surrounded by artisans now. Absolutely. That's what I've been having the most fun seeing is all of the art, all of the creation, all of the the vibe of this place all started from there. Yeah. So if you are a person who was woodworking or stoneworking or um, had some specialty, you were brought in to work on Vanderbilt's home. And you were probably working on multiple projects around the country too. Hmm. And in fact, um, Vanderbilt, George Vanderbilt's best friend, got dragged around the world. Didn't, nobody has as much uh, money as uh, George Vanderbilt had. He was the bachelor, Steve. He's <laughs> 35 years old. He's a bachelor. But anyway, his, his um, buddy is going around the world with him. And his buddy wrote uh, back to his parents, always asking for money. I shouldn't say always, but many times. <laughs> uh, he goes, it's so interesting dealing with a person who's never had to really deal with a budget at all. Mm-hmm. So... Um, they're picking up, uh, I don't know, rugs and artwork and anything. Vanderbilt had a huge art collection. Anyway, uh, eventually he meets his wife, and uh, they get married, and uh, they go off on a four-month uh, world tour of a uh, honeymoon, like all of us do, Steve. The Scandinavian world tour, gotcha. Uh, like all of us do. Sure. Um, we went to England, Scotland, and France. I, I was pretty happy with my, my month-long uh, tour of Europe. Well, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, we, we went to Central America. Oh, nice. So we did a lot of fun stuff there. But regardless, um, his wife came back, and she got involved. Vanderbilt had the money. Not, not that her family was poor, but she had, she had a special knowledge. She had the ability to really connect to the everyday person and focus on building the community that would become Asheville around it. So this was the inspiration from the church 
to how to take care of like they would have a big uh, Christmas was big in the Vanderbilt family. Okay. So they'd have everybody come down by train and they would set everything up. Well, they made sure that all the um, the people who worked because you had a team of people working for the Vanderbilts mm-hmm. running that home. Hmm. It was you couldn't run it with a couple people. There was no, uh, it wasn't like Batman's house where there's one person. <laughs> just, just one guy. He just, you know, he happens to, to do everything. No, no, no. They have a team. So mm-hmm. there's people who work the grounds. There's people who work the forest. There's people who work inside the home. There are artisans all around them. They have families, all sorts of things going hmm. on. And um, so they have to set up schools. So the first uh, forestry school university, I would say university, in the United States was the Biltmore um, Forestry Institute. And shortly afterwards, Cornell came up with a forestry school and Yale came up. So we had three, like within a year, year and a half or so. But it was designed because he needed those skills Mm -hmm. to be able to help develop that uh, property. And it was it just never seemed to be able to be finished. Uh, they did eventually finish okay, it. Okay, good. But um, every time people would come, they would marvel at the new stuff. There's dumb waiters all over the place. They had three staff people for every guest. Wow. So talk about think about the money that you you're, you're spending out. Well, um, yes, it worked out real well. Vanderbilt George Vanderbilt died when he was 51. Um, his wife took over, much like um, Elvis Presley still, hmm. Steve, and Priscilla having to come in and like take a, essentially a uh, very wounded financial statement. And this was a wounded financial statement for Vanderbilt. Okay. Although they had a lot of money, it still was wounded. She had to figure out a way to make it work. And what ended up happening is George Vanderbilt had worked with the Department of Interior the Department of Interior of the United States government wanted to own lands, public lands, in the South and didn't know where to go. Uh, George Vanderbilt had been trying to sell part of the forest to the U.S. government, but he died. Ultimately, it was his wife that convinced the U.S. government to, to take ownership of it hmm. because um, it was planted with the idea of it being, you know, be able to harvest it and have it healthy and uh, feed itself, but it is still right now. It's it's a public, it's a public park. I can't stress enough. There's so many connections between. If you start kind of looking at those late 1800s to you know early 1900s, all those people. The more you read about it, you just realize they just all knew each other. Hmm. And they lived a totally different life, by the way. I mean, certainly um, the money that they had was, um, I mean, it's like Bill Gates' money. Uh, in, in fact, it was probably more than that at the time. But it just, uh, I mean, in, in current dollars. Sure. It's Elon Musk. You know, these were people who, uh, well, his father was a visionary. He wasn't. Hmm. This is why the money eventually goes away. So the Biltmore um, was eventually um, set up in a trust. You can go visit now. You can walk through it. You can see this incredible property. It just, when you build something that big, you get crushed by the maintenance of it. Hmm. As UIC uh, Professor Stuart Hicks says, you know, 40 years after something is built, at that point is when the architecture starts looking really dated, Hmm. and it's as ugly as it'll ever look. 
So this at the time was we spare no expense. We have hot water running through the house. We have um, the most modern uh, electricity at the time. We have modern stuff. But eventually that modern stuff is dated. Sure. And um, it's got to be maintained. When you go visit and you pay as much as you do to go visit it, um, it is basically part of the maintaining of that property and being such a unique uh, property in, in the United States. So how lucky we are to have it available to us here in Asheville and something that, that uh, the public can come see. Beautiful. That's, that's phenomenal to have that much history behind all of this happening and such a beautiful area that has been grown up around that. And the Vanderbilts have been incredibly generous to North Carolina. And if you go to the North Carolina Museum of Art, the Monet collection is a gift from the, from the Vanderbilts. Hmm. So, yes, the Vanderbilts have been very generous in many, many areas. But this was one of the areas that, you know, certainly that the public can take part in. That's phenomenal. Thank you for reading that. That's The Last Castle, the epic story of love, loss, and American royalty in the nation's largest home, published in 2018 by Denise Kiernan. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. Oh boy, this has been a great trip. It has been a great weekend. Thank you for joining me in North Carolina. Chip, have you ever heard of North Carolina? It's one of the states, <laughs> Steve. In fact, it's one of the first uh, 13 colonies. Oh, there you go. Good. I, I, I've never visited North Carolina. I'm so glad to be here and to have you here. It's been great. Well, you've prepared for it your whole life, Steve. You've got a southern accent. Oh, yes. The south side of Chicago. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, we need to backtrack a little bit. There's, there's some things. Uh, I've been worried. Not worried. That's not the right word. I've been concerned about what media is going to do for the next few years. So I've been making a list of some things that we've missed during the pandemic to backtrack on. And I went back and I listened to a podcast called The Big Picture Podcast. This was published in 2021 uh, from a group called The Ringer and host Brian Rafferty. He created a whole series on the history of Siskel and Ebert. Siskel and Ebert for me were such an important part of my lifestyle, knowing about pop culture and movies through the lens of those two men. So for people who do not know who Siskel and Ebert were, um, one worked for the Tribune, the Chicago Tribune. Mm -hmm. One worked for the Chicago Sun-Times. Mm -hmm. They both reviewed movies. Mm -hmm. They eventually had a PBS program that moved from PBS to syndication mm -hmm. at some point. But anyway, they would spend a half hour on Saturday night or Sunday uh, afternoon, and you could watch them review movies and deeply review movies. Mm -hmm. You know, usually we're talking about whether you should see something or not, and maybe a little bit about it. But they would really—they had strong feelings, and they didn't always agree. And they became celebrities in and of themselves. They were one of the first groups to be celebrity critics. That was not a thing before Siskel and Ebert. And if you heard the term thumbs up, mm -hmm. that became part of the American lexicon 
uh, from that show. And being a zero or a one, a yes or a no, was one thing that is discussed very much in this podcast. The idea of your chip scale for movies, which is out of a hundred, yes. you know, there's a range. There's a there's a good and there's a bad and there's a middle. They decided to do a just zero or one, yes or no, thumbs up or thumbs down. And and some of the regret of how that changed their review is in this podcast where where Roger Ebert by the end of his career thought you know what I don't like this system because I I didn't like this movie I'm not going to tell you to go see this movie but that might be hurtful to somebody who created this movie, who spent their time and energy making a movie. To give it a thumbs down is, is very negative. And, and that is one of the reasons why on the, the scale I made is from zero to 100. And I recognize most films are 50. I mean, an average film should be 50. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean you should watch it or not? Well, it depends upon... A lot of factors. If if you like the subject or not, Mm -hmm. or something of that nature. But, you know, there are better films, and they will move up the scale for me. Uh, But what I don't... What's very difficult to do is take something that someone's put a lot of effort in. Mm -hmm. Now, you know if it's propaganda, or if you know if it just missed its mark so much. You can go down, Mm -hmm. but that's why most films are somewhere around 50, because... There was effort put in. Mm-hmm. That you know, somebody had to write the script. There were actors who put it together, and they did the best they could with the resources they had, or, or the people around them. And that's what I love about those really truly independent films. I love a poorly made film because I admire the moxie of those people to actually put it together, to actually get it together. Even if they fail miserably, I'm still entertained by what they were able to put together. And think of the Blair Witch Mm -hmm. uh, Project, which was a film on so little money. Or the Kendrick Brothers, who brought out their films. $35,000 was their original budget for their film. That's not a lot of money. In fact, their original film took place at a probably a... um, an, an old used car lot. Probably they had friends bring in their cars and put them on the uh, lot as they uh, pretended like they were selling them. And they wrote a script and presented it. Mm-hmm. It's not always about having the most special effects. Right. It's about telling a story that can capture an audience. And you can work through when makeup is not as good as it needs to be or special effects are not as good as they need to be. But what you really get um, uh, concerned about is when they spent so much money mm-hmm. on special effects that it loses all sense of like grounding. Like There's no story to this. And that's why The Haunted Mansion is our film at 11, folks. That is exactly right. And by, by the way, that is what we learned by watching Siskel and Ebert, or yes. reading Siskel and Ebert, review their movies back in the 80s. Yeah, I, I learned so much about film and, and criticism. I'm a much more thoughtful person because of what they were able to teach me through that looking at pop culture, thinking about how these films are made and what value they have. So I'm going to um, actually give a little bit of pushback. I had a friend of mine uh, at one point uh, question. He goes, can you go and watch a play or watch a musical or watch a movie watch a concert without feeling like you have to grade it 
And that is an interesting question that a person could ask themselves. Can you just experience something? Um, I don't know. I don't know. As a producer, it's very difficult to look at somebody else's production and to not pick it apart in terms of what I think I could have done, should have done, or would have done, for sure. So tell us a little bit about more about why you, you wanted to talk about this. I, I think that everybody out there should be thinking about how we work together and how a, a duo like Siskel and Ebert work together. They did not like each other. Their, their, their animosity toward each other was genuine. It was real. They were brothers by the end. They knew each other so well. They knew how to push each other's buttons. And that is something special. That's something special that this show, Too Much Scrolling, would not exist without that model of Siskel and Ebert. And, and there's a, a good point is that you don't you can respect every person's mm -hmm. right to be, mm -hmm. to exist, without actually having to live their life. Mm -hmm. um, but also, you know, for those groups of people who can get together and communicate uh, with passion, even though they feel differently, that's okay too. Because, mm -hmm. you know, the idea is the human experience. We all want to have a positive human experience. No, you're wrong. That's there, right. there we go. There we go. There we go. For the first time in 10 years, that's the first time I've said on the air, no, I disagree with you, Chip. Jane, you inconsiderate bitch. <laughs> and, I <didn't, laughs> and I didn't mean it at all. Did you like that? Yes. Very point, good. Point, counterpoint. Very Let's good. go back to the 70s, 60 minutes, <laughs> and then the spoof of that was on Saturday Night Live Absolutely. where um, it was Dan Aykroyd got to say that to Jane Curtin <laughs> as they were doing point-counterpoint. <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoy everything that I've read about Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel. This podcast, the Big Picture Podcast, was a great view into that history and that nostalgia. Speaking of nostalgia, Chip... Nostalgia, so, you know, <laughs> let's go back in time, Steve... <laughs> You know, back when Pong was being uh, taken over by the latest and greatest of technology, Steve. We don't have to go back too far, Chip, because this week, this week in 2023, Atari has announced that they are releasing a new cartridge for the 46-year-old Atari 2600 console. That's powerful, Steve. It's, it's unbelievable. Can you imagine in this era creating a plastic cartridge to put into a machine from the 1980s? And you have to blow on it <laughs> to make it work regularly. You know how to whistle, don't you? Steve, <laughs> Steve, what child is going to know what Atari is? This is definitely not for children. This is not a game for children. This is definitely it, it's, it's somebody... An all, it's an all-ages game, though. Somebody in their basement, or more more likely in their mom's basement, has an Atari 2600 and can buy this cartridge and plug it in. It is called Save Mary, and it is a game based on construction, not deconstruction, to save a character on a screen. I'm sure the graphics are top notch. Steve, if they're on the level of adventure, <laughs> yes. killing killing some dragons, Steve. Killing some dragons is so, a that, that's so, the name of my band from high school. Is it really? No, it is not. Slaying the dragon. <laughs> All right, so Steve, is this called something about Mary? <laughs> I thought about that. I thought 
thought about that when they said save Mary. I said save Ferris. No, save Mary. Oh, something about Mary. No, save Mary. And and it's just unthinkable to me. That's why I put it into the show notes for this week because I, I can't imagine the uh, Nintendo 64 coming out with a new game or the Sega Genesis coming out with a new game. But here is your new Atari game. Good luck, kids. So if you are on Facebook, if you look up hashtag TMS Halloween, you can follow all our spooky music, Steve. Oh, boy. Now their spooky music list is being created. I look forward to finding out day after day what, what, <laughs> how your brain works and finds that music. <laughs> we want to thank everybody for joining us. We want to thank the Biltmore Hotel. Look around, Chip. The, the Biltmore Hotel is just, oh. The staff is incredible, it's Steve. Stunning. We I can't believe they've allowed us to have 35 rooms to ourselves. <laughs> and, we <did. laughs> and we also want to thank Archetype Brewing that really helped us out. And we are, we are recording at Archetype Brewing in Asheville, North Carolina. They, they gave us the power. We have the power to create this podcast today, Chip. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. I am not coming back to North Carolina next week, so we will be on Zoom next week, and it'll be great. I look forward to it. I would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is TooMuchScrolling.com. Our email is TooMuchScrolling at gmail.com. We're on threads and x.com and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube, and you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Autumn Fall Chip Hassan Fly. We'll see you in the future. I'm the Biltmore. <laughs> Let's make like a tree and leave. Oh! <laughs> Autumn leaves. <laughs> I don't even know where that punchline goes. <laughs>